Blog Talk Radio. know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for staying with us. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. We're going to be taking your questions. Yep, phone callers get sent to the front of the line, but we've uh, reached out to our Twitter fans and uh, Facebook followers and everybody else for that matter, and we've got uh, many questions that we'll try to get through. Uh, on today's show with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, when he joins us here in just a few minutes. So while we're kind of doing host chat and chickens in the news segment and other things, uh, make sure you get that pen and paper out with that chicken whisperer notebook we know you all have so you can take some notes. And uh, some of these things may uh, be worthwhile to, hey, flip back um, in the future to, uh, to to educate yourself a little bit, just in case your chickens end up having some of the same symptoms as our callers and as our fans from Facebook who have left questions. Uh, we'll get to those here in just a few minutes. I want to remind everybody, a lot, lot of news. Number one, there's uh, right now two ways you can win a chicken coop from uh, the Chicken Whisperer uh, um, uh, family. One, we've got a Facebook fan contest going on right now with Curtis Coops and Yard Barns. And all the rules and regulations and how to enter that contest is over on our Facebook page, facebook.com 
forward slash the chicken whisperer. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer. And it's an awesome coop, it's an awesome prize uh, from Curtis Coops and Yard Barns. You need to head over there and enter. If you don't enter, there's no chance to win. Yes, we've given away more chicken coops than anybody on the planet. I guarantee it. And uh, we do have winners all the time. So it's a really nice coop we're giving away on our Facebook page for January. Just a few days left. Uh, what, three days left to enter that contest? And we've got another chicken coop contest over on our magazine website, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Head on over there at the top tab. It says contest. Click on that. And then click on the coop contest there. It's a snaplock coop that we're giving away. It's the large edition of their coop, and um, great value there. I think the only way to, to enter that one is to, for 25 words or less, tell us why you love keeping backyard poultry. That'll probably be the biggest challenge right there in 25 words or less, telling us why you like to keep backyard chickens. So we've got two awesome chicken coop contests going on right now for the month of January. Two two ways to win because we love our listeners and our fans and we thank our sponsors for providing these coops for our contest so now click that's out of the way go uh, go into those contests you'll have two chances to win those awesome chicken coops if you're married then you've got four chances because each you and your spouse can enter you can only enter once or you'll be disqualified so how cool is that um the other news i have are the chicken whisper tours coming up We've got a kind of a small mini tour in Florida coming up in February. Really excited about that. That's been in the works for some time now. And then uh, we're starting to look at our spring tour. We were working on it until late last night, trying to get a route and um, our locations for that tour. All of that information is also over on our um website chickenwhisperer.com under the on-site events just to zip through here our florida mini tour here looks like it's going to start on wednesday february the 10th uh wednesday february 10th we will be at uh fellsmere feed tack and farm supply in fellsmere florida 6 p.m to 8 p.m right there 6 p.m to 8 p.m wednesday february 10th and then thursday february 11th We'll be at Ranch Feed and Pet Supply in Palm City, Florida. That's a 6.30 to 8.30 start time for that one. Uh, Monday, February 15th, 6 to 8 p.m., Farm and Pet Outlet in Orlando. Uh, big Orlando. We just spent some time up in Orlando over the weekend. Tell you about that in a minute. Uh, Tuesday, February 16th, Farm and Pet Outlet in, is that Eustis, Florida? E-U-S-T-I-S, Eustis, Florida. That's Tuesday, February 16th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And then wrapping up our Florida tour is uh, Wednesday, February 17th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Bernetti uh, Feed Specialist. That's in Ocala. All our Ocala fans up in that area. Each event includes a Getting Started with Backyard Poultry Workshop, photographs, autographs, great prizes, freebies, trivia, um, book signing. It's going to be awesome. Love to see our fans. Love to get my picture taken with you. Put it up on our Facebook page. So come out. There's five options there in for, uh, in Florida for February. Say that ten times. <laughs> the 10th, the 11th, the 15th, the 16th, and the 17th, all those dates are on our website, Chicken Whisperer. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. And then we've narrowed down at least to the states where we are going to be. Um, in fact, I might be able to even tell you the cities we're going to be. If I can pull it up real quick over here in our email. Uh, there we go. Let me just tell you where we're going to be on our spring tour. It's going to be awesome. And I'm uh, really looking for that. Spring tour is always huge. It's that time of the year. Lots of people are getting excited and, and started uh, with their baby chicks. So we do love our spring tours. All these uh, tours are sponsored by Kalmbach Feeds. Uh, love them as a sponsor. Okay, looks like uh, I don't have the exact dates, but this is the cities and, and states we're going to be in. Holland, Michigan. Um, Caledonia, Michigan, Delta, Ohio, Perrysburg, Ohio, New Haven, Indiana, North Manchester, Indiana, Pershing, Indiana, Pittsburgh, Indiana. Uh, oh, there must be a uh, Amber Alert. There is. Okay, Amber Alert in my area. Thanks for alerting me of that smartphone. Um, let's see, Valapaserio, Indiana, probably totally destroyed that name, Champaign, Illinois, Graves Lake, Illinois, Janesville, Wisconsin, and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So it looks like we've got, what, five states there, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, uh, Ohio, and Michigan. And that tour is going to start, I believe, on April the 11th. And it'll be done a uh, three-week tour. We're really packing it in. Uh, I will be one tired puppy because uh, we got five wins the first week, four the next, and four the next. Thirteen stops on that tour, and uh, it's going to be a hoot. But we hope you can come out and join us at one of those uh, at one of those events. Really looking looking forward to that spring tour, and I hope you can make uh, one of those. How cool is that? So uh, let's see. Um, let me go back up here and check. So lots of announcements today. And let's uh I got chickens in the news. Let's do the chickens in the news segment next. And then we'll get right over to Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor Founder of First State Vetsupply.com. Alrighty, here we go. Um you know that there was the uh AI, uh even influenza outbreak uh up north. And uh, this just came across the wire today, matter of fact, uh, if you're from Georgia, my home state, matter of fact. This comes to us from the Telegraph at uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Georgia poultry owners to move flocks inside. Owners of backyard poultry and pastured poultry are urged by the state veterinarian to move their flocks inside. The REM recommendation by Georgia State Veterinarian Robert Cobb is in response to a January 14th confirmation of highly pathogenic avian influenza in Indiana, according to a release. All poultry with outside access must be moved into biosecure housing until further notice, Cobb said in a memorandum to the Georgia's poultry producers. If that's not possible, the Georgia Department of Agriculture should be notified immediately. Cobb has instructed poultry producers to implement strict biosecurity on their premises and to notify their employees, growers, and service personnel of the increased risk of the avian influenza. He emphasized the importance of preventing flocks from coming into contact with wild waterfowl or their droppings. No human infections have been associated with avian influenza to date. Um, for more information about avian influenza, 
uh, you can go to many websites that are out there. You can look them up. There's some good ones. So that came across the wire today. Georgia Poultry, uh, the state veterinarian, Robert Cobb's urging if you have backyard poultry, hobby flocks, pastured poultry, get them inside. Get them in a run that's covered with a tarp. Get them away from any chance that they might get come in contact. And even then there's risks because uh, we'll see here in a minute, they're suspecting this avian influenza can even be transmitted by feed. And how does a feed get it? Well, rodents can take it and track it into their feed, and birds can poop and feed. And, well, we're going to go to that new story next. How about that? So uh, let me see if I can open that one up. Here we go. Uh, Bird flu expert tells the IPPE, and that's going on in Atlanta right now, the International Poultry Expo, if there's avian influenza in feed, birds will find it. (laughs) Yeah, you think? I guarantee it. Independent poultry veterinarian, Dr. Uh, Harold O., Toro warned a packed IPPE breakfast meeting that avian influenza virus may survive in chicken feed, especially when protected uh, by organic material such as I can't pronounce that word. And, and but anyway, and wiped out entire flocks. Uh, Dr. Toro, professor with Auburn University's Department of Pathobiology, told representatives of the industry's leading layer broiler and turkey sectors that finding avian influenza in feed is like looking for a needle in a haystack. But if it's there, without a doubt, the birds will find it. (laughs) He joined a panel of experts to consider the viability of feed as a vector for high-path AI. He revealed results from the first phase of a research project exploring effects of feed treatment, um, including a lot of high-tech stuff that I'm not even going to get into right now. But he was uh, welcomed to the platform by poultry veterinarian CEO Dr. Rick Phillips, who cited lessons learned um, from past experience. It says, um, while there is no silver bullet, having studied the USD report into risk of AI spread in contaminated corn, I'm personally convinced that feed has a potential to play in the part of spreading the disease. Um, We're looking for multiple vectors here. Migratory birds are widely accepted to be responsible for intercontinental and interstate spread the answer as to how individual farm biosecurity is being breached, though, is more complex. There are multiple mechanical vectors under the spotlight, with feed appearing on that list for two reasons. Firstly, migratory birds settle and and uh, shed on uh, feed raw materials such as corn. Uh, any protection normally offered by heat and the pelleting process is absent as layers and turkeys are predominantly feed mash. So a little bit more on the uh, commercial end of it. says, um, we also know that small birds and rodents are effective mechanical vectors, and they are obviously attracted to water and feed. Okay, effectively building a bridge between migratory birds and farmed poultry. So how many times have we talked about rodents? and backyard poultry, and how there is nothing um, 
good, nothing good can come from having rodents in and around your backyard flock. Nothing at all. They carry disease, including salmonella, that could end up in and on your eggs. Get rid of those rodents, folks. Um, we also talk about you know the rodents carrying possibly now avian influenza over to the feed troughs or to your birds, shedding it through their fur and their feet. And those wild birds, um, not just concerning avian influenza, but all these other diseases that your birds can get, plus mites uh, and lice from wild birds. So it's always recommended. We've posted it till we're blue in the face from poultry scientist and professor Dr. McRae um, with articles through our magazine uh, that you really should consider removing totally those bird feeders, bird bats from your backyard, anywhere in your backyard poultry. Because if you think about it, you often hear see on these blogs and forums, oh, yeah, my, my chickens love to go over underneath the bird feeders, underneath the bird feeders, and, and get all the extra bird seed that the wild birds scatter around. Okay, what are the birds, what are the wild birds doing while they're up there sitting on that little perch eating that wild bird feed? They're pooping down into the grass below the wild bird feeder where all that extra feed's falling. And now your birds, your chickens are going over there right into where all the birds are pooping, right where all that bird seed is, right? It's not a good combination. Your bird bath. What are the birds doing? The wild birds are getting in that bird bath, taking a bath, pooping in it. Okay, and then what? Your chickens fly up to the bird bath and drink out of that water too. Warning sign. So, all these are uh, examples of why it's a good idea to totally try to remove as best you can any wild birds from your backyard flock. Uh, you're not going to stop them all. We know that. That doesn't mean you have to attract them by the hundreds and thousands with bird baths and bird feeders. Eliminate as much risk as you can. Can you eliminate it completely? No. Wild birds may land in your backyard, sure, but you're not attracting them by the droves by having, so you're reducing the risk. Not eliminating it, but reducing it at a high number when you look at how many birds you might be feeding uh, at that bird feeder and bird bath. So keep that in mind. And, of course, the last one, uh, which is a little bit more upbeat, but still has to do with some biosecurity. I'm thinking about inviting this fifth grader on the show. Probably would make for a pretty good guest episode. and um, But then ask and see what he's doing about biosecurity. This comes to us from uh, wickedlocal.com. And the title of this news beat is Marblehead Fifth Grader Hatches Chicken Sitting Service. Okay. Chicken sitter Michael Piper holds one of his chickens along with his siblings, uh, Katerina, 10, and Sophia, 12, and William, 7, outside his family home in Marblehead, Friday, January 22nd. Michael Piper, almost 11, has found a unique way to build a nest egg running a chicken sitting service. My clients go on vacation for a weekend, and I chicken sit for them, he said. And to his knowledge... He is the only hen-sitting outfit in town. The village school fifth grader runs it with limited help from his parents, but his siblings inspired him. A successful air plantarium business run by his sisters, Katarina 10 and Sophia 12, is uh, what in part sparked his entrepreneur spirit. The pair sold their plants at local farmer's markets while Michael um, fulfilled what one might consider the role of chief executive officer in the girls' company. Um, so he ventured out 
turning to the husbandry of chickens in order to capitalize on a unique niche for the local poultry market. So I read through this. It's about a four-page article because I wanted to see if he, because there's some, in the past we've reported on this, if he brings chickens to his backyard in a little chicken hotel, but that is not the case, uh, which is a good thing for biosecurity. But every morning, very early, his mom drives him from home to home where his clients are. So he may have three clients that are on vacation this week. His mom drives him to each and every one of those locations to take care of feed and water, gather eggs in the coops, in the runs of his clients. So I'm going to reach out to this young man. Uh, We're going to invite him on the show, and we're going to ask him, what kind of biosecurity are you practicing, young master man? Um... Uh, Master Michael, that's what we want to know. What kind of biosecurity? When you leave, you have chickens in your backyard, um, and you go on any given morning and you visit three other flocks, are you doing a foot bath? Are you wearing booties? Are you changing your boots? Uh, Are you wearing coveralls? Uh, Because he goes into one coop and takes care of them, gets back in his mom's car, he drives two miles down the road, gets out, goes into another coop. Could be biosecurity nightmare. So while we give him kudos for entrepreneurship, kudos for taking responsibility, kudos for being a chicken lover, it didn't say anything in the article. It might be being done. He may have exemplary. He may have a superior biosecurity um, plan in place, but didn't say anything about it. So we're going to call him. We're going to ask him that. We're going to invite him on the show, tell us about it so he can tell us about his business. That's pretty cool. And at the same time, We can either see if he's implementing biosecurity, educate him on biosecurity, encourage him to increase his biosecurity. Either way, it's going to be a great show, and we're going to invite Master Michael um, on on the show, maybe uh, one of the open Tuesdays that we have. We'll probably be trying to contact him later this afternoon. But uh, we don't want him spreading disease, and I'm sure he doesn't want to spread disease either from uh, flock to flock to flock when he's actually taking care of... um, his clients. We want him to do the best that he can do. So we're going to do that. All righty, we're going to go to our first commercial break. When we return, we've got Peter Brown, also known as Chicken Doctor. He's here going to be answering questions from all of you. Callers get first in line. You get bumped to the first of the line if you're a caller. 347-637-3237. Write it down. Remember I told you earlier to have a pen and paper ready for all these notes. 3237. If you want to call, if you got a question for Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, if you call in, you go first to the line, and then we're going to go to our Facebook and Twitter pages and get some questions that were posted from our friends and fans over there. And so stay with us. We'll be back with Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, right after this short break from our sponsors. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. 
Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfgeek.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C dot com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. It's now time to head over to our phone lines and bring on Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. Visit them online, firststatevetsupply.com. Let's give them a big Chicken Whisperer welcome. Hey, Peter, how are you doing today? Hey, Andy. Hey, hey, buddy. How you doing? Long time no chat. Uh, Happy New Year, all that great stuff. Glad to uh, have you on today. Yep, glad to be here. Yep, interesting stuff going on. Uh, um, The uh, avian influenza thing, uh, seeing as how it's reared its ugly head again in Indiana, um, it's a a big issue, really. 
And uh, I'm not sure that people are aware of a program that uh, the state of Indiana has uh, put in now that it's mandatory now <clears throat> since um, last October, actually. Um, the uh, called the New Record-Keeping Requirements to Indiana Poultry Purchases and Sales. I told you all this was coming. I said to you uh, last year and a year before, as we talked about avian influenza and other issues, that um, this is going to be one of those things where, um, you know, there are going to be tighter and tighter controls put in place. And uh, so under the law, all sellers and buyers of poultry in Indiana must maintain records of flock uh, additions and removals for three years. Records must include names and addresses of buyer and seller, sale date, breed, sex, number of animals, and reason for movement. Uh, re- a requirement applies to all retail, swap meet, flea market, auction, and private sales, including barters or trades. And this all came about because of the finding of highly pathogenic avian influenza in southern Indiana, and that's what that's all about. Yeah, it's um, uh, it did rear its ugly head, and it, it is here. It looks like we haven't, as far as I know to date, uh, haven't had any other outbreaks other than that one in Indiana right now. I haven't gone and, and looked too closely. We we actually went on a little mini vacation up to Orlando to Disney and whatnot, so we just got back uh, yesterday, so I'm getting back into the gear here after being four days kind of out of the loop. Didn't even take my laptop, just wanted to have a nice time with the family. And uh, but as far as I know, uh, it's been contained to that those areas there in uh, Indiana. So um, so I guess that that's a good thing. And uh, but yeah, you you have and we've been talking about it down the pike. You know, last year all the restrictions that are coming into play. You got the Georgia vet now saying, you know, uh, get your birds inside, and if that's not capable, if you cannot do that, then you need to call and let us know. Um, let us know. I think that's kind of funny, too, because um, I looked him up, and he's a large animal vet. It just behooves me to understand why poultry states have a large animal vet in charge of things, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it really is. I mean, the same thing here in in, uh, in uh, uh, Maryland, uh, Delaware, both. Neither one of them are poultry vets. They're all large animal vets, so I don't get it. Um, you know, three of the most highly populated broiler poultry areas in, in the country, right here in mm-hmm. uh, Sussex County, Delaware, and, and uh, Maryland, and and all over Georgia and stuff. I, I just don't yeah. get it. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying he's he's wrong, but you know, I mean, what's the chances of people? Um, two things. What's the chances of people getting their flock and bringing it indoors? Okay, um, if they don't have a, a facility where birds can stay inside, and um, secondly, how many people that can't do it are going to call them? I mean, give me a break. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Right. It's like calling the Grim Reaper. You know, I mean, what are they going to do? Uh, put you on a special watch list or something? Uh, you know, right. um, it, it just behooves me to understand, um, you know, what the thinking is there. But um, hey, what do I, I know? A lot of it is maybe a lot of it is if if it does hit the fan, they can go back and say, hey, look, we we did this, we did that, we did this, we did this, we recommended this, we recommended this. Don't don't point your finger at us. We try to recommend all this stuff. Granted, they, people do it or not, but at least they have some paper paper trail to say, we did yeah. this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you know, everybody knows. So <laughs> even though yeah, no, I, knows. I think you're right there. It's it's a CYA and and um, you know and, and and probably rightfully so in that environment that they work. Not overly criticizing. I'm just saying that uh, yes. you know the, the the kinds of things that are recommended sometimes are just just not uh, feasible. And I think it's much smarter. Uh, to pound into people's heads 
you know, about the biosecurity issue. You know, uh, you know certainly uh, if you've got, you know, feeders and waterers and stuff and your birds have access to the same thing that, that uh, you know, wild birds have access to, I, I think it would behoove you and make sense to, uh, you know, to change that, uh, that environment. But um, I just want to address one other thing real quick because I think it's interesting. Sure. The, the, fact, the fact as to whether or not uh, the virus can stay on, on feed uh, certainly would depend uh, upon how the, how the feed is, is manufactured. I doubt that it would survive the pelleting process. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure today whether or not, um, you know, all uh, laying birds uh, have a mash versus a crumble um, or, or something along those lines. I know here uh, in the, the broilers have pelleted feed, the huge pellet mills that they run their feed through. So, um mm-hmm. One could think that because of the very high temperatures it takes to uh, to pellet feed, that um, at least in most broiler operations, that might not be um, you know a vector for the for the virus. Uh, but God only knows there's a number of other vectors uh, you know for it. it. It doesn't live very well um, outside the bird's body um, on uh, non-porous surfaces uh, exposed to the environment. Usually. Uh, a very limited amount of time there. Uh, usually that runs 24 to 48 hours. Um, certainly, again, environmental conditions, um, hot, cold, uh, will, will make a difference uh, there. The, the virus is much easier preserved uh, at lower temperatures than it is higher temperatures. So, um, you know, as we usually get into the summer months where temperatures consistently run 80 or above, um, in some areas of the country constantly into the high 90s, uh, low 100s, or whatever, um, you're going to see less of, of, a, of a problem. And then as we cool down, and it's almost like you can almost set your watch to it. This, this uh, uh, outbreak in Indiana is only about, what, three weeks later than the, than the one we had last year that start, started all this stuff? Yeah, you know, I believe and, it was uh, December 11th or 12th last yeah. year. So, you know, pretty much about, you know, um, I was at the show up in Springfield, Mass., which was 14th, 15th uh, of, uh, of uh, January, so about, about a month uh, difference. And, um, you know, that may have had something to do with the fluctuating temperatures, you know, nationwide, hot in areas where it normally isn't and, and uh, cooler in other areas uh, where, where it normally wouldn't have been either. So it is an interesting thing to, to look at, uh, feed or anything, any what's considered a fomite, inanimate object, human shoes, uh, shovels, rakes, gloves, uh, you name it, are all, uh, you know, uh, vectors for, for the virus should it come in contact with it. And, uh, you know, temperature is certainly going to, uh, uh, to play a role. Uh, I read an article not too long ago um, that had um, some interesting information on it that, um, and I'd never seen this uh, particular study uh, before, but uh, it was done uh, about uh, 10 years ago, uh, I, still, I guess it still has um, um, validity to it, and uh, they had um, uh, suspended some of the uh, uh, avian influenza virus in the Mississippi River, uh, and it was detected for 32 days um, in, in that water, up to 4 degrees Celsius. Okay? And... Um, it was undetected after four days at 22 degree, uh, degrees Celsius. So, you know, there, there is a, a hot and cold thing there. The, the, the cooler uh, seems to be better, and the, uh, 
the warmer, not mm-hmm. so not so much for it. So, um, and then there was another study uh, that uh, was conducted back in the 90s, and they took distilled water at 17 degrees Celsius, and it lasted for 207 days, and then they raised it up to 28 uh, degrees Celsius and lasted in that that environment for uh, uh, 102 days. So, um, you know, it's it's all over the place, uh, and exactly, um, you know, how it's getting into all of these places, uh, uh you know, needs to be examined. You know, I, I don't think in any case uh, of avian influenza that I've ever seen uh, over the years, they've ever put, been able to put their finger on exactly how it entered a poultry facility. You know, um, there were, you know, there were some uh, uh, reports uh, last year about how it spread around after the fact uh, out in uh, uh, Iowa and places like that, but it wasn't the primary infection. I don't think anybody's ever put their finger on the primary infection. How how did it get started inside of a building that's supposed to be uh, secure? But if you look at how the outbreak was handled by those particular farms, it would be easy to see how they could have introduced it anyway because nobody was paying attention whatsoever. A lot of mm-hmm. birds died there that didn't have to die. But uh, uh, it's an interesting thing, something to keep our, our eye on and, and – uh, um, you know, most disinfectants are going to take care of this thing. It doesn't like acid conditions, so anything that's going to be more acidic uh, is going to, uh, um, you know, take it out in in, uh, in, in short order. Um, temperatures above uh, 56 degrees Celsius for a few hours uh, uh, are going to take care of it. Once it gets above 60 degrees Celsius, uh, it's only a matter of uh, minutes before it's uh, killed off. But, um, you know, the disinfectants like uh, oxine, formaldehyde, uh, any of the iodine compounds properly applied uh, should uh, work very, very well as far as so. I just want to throw that out there. don't want to take up the whole day with that. But, uh, yeah. And it is, it's worth uh, understanding that this is not just a U.S. problem, that this has persisted worldwide because of the failure to take care of these things in other countries. Uh, I believe if you go back and look at the record, um, and I haven't looked at it lately, but uh, just as early as a couple of months ago, so that we'd be looking at November, December of, of uh, 2015, there were at least at least 40 outbreaks in France alone, 40. Mm-hmm. So this is not just in our backyard. This is a worldwide problem that needs to be addressed by everybody everywhere. So uh, the only thing I can do is try to encourage people to, uh, pay attention. Um, a lot of people were jumping up and down and clapping because you know uh, different shows were were uh, okay to go to now, and I understand that. Uh, I go to some of the shows, but um, you still need to be very very cautious uh, with all of this because it can rear its ugly head at any time, and I think we've seen that here recently. Yeah, that's true. And like I said, we're just now beginning to, or actually kind of creeping into the uh, that. Time frame of, of uh, when it when it really hit hard last year. So yeah, definitely not not a time to let our uh, our guard down. So no, thanks for sharing all that information. It's always good to have sure. a good reminder 
on our uh, current topics, which uh, AI seems to, to, to be it. So um, I'll head over here to some of the questions we've got. We'll start off with our, on, our, on our Facebook page. The first question is, wow, it's kind of like asking somebody on a forum, uh, which truck should I buy to tow my camper, Ford, Chevy, or Dodge? And you can just imagine the answers you're going to get with some kind of question like that. And this one's kind of similar, but chicken-related. Um, we are building our hen house now. It will be done before I have to order the biddies. I would like to know what breed is best for hardy laying, docile, gentle, uh, more like a pet, one that can withstand the heat of southeast Georgia summer. Thank you in advance. And uh, our homestead is in southeast Georgia, I can tell you that. And I've kept chickens a long time. Hardy laying, I can give you a hint there. And docile, gentle, and more like a pet. I can answer all of these based on, again, experience. But if you ask 19 other people, you'll get 19 other breeds uh, that they will say that they like. Uh, I would say overall most people are going to say based on all of your requirements, you're going to have the Buff Orpington, the Bard Rock, the Silver Laced Wyandots, um, the Rhode Island Reds. You're going to have... Oh, gosh, what else? So you've got those kind of uh, uh, traditional, if you want to call them the heritage breeds, uh, that are going to be really probably meet all your requirements, especially if you're getting when when they're baby chicks. Um, We really like, and it really, we'll face it, it's it's really a commercial uh, variety uh, or commercial bird. It's the Isa Brown. Uh, I see a lot of comments about them out there. Uh, they've been bred for really commercial laying, so uh, uh, the the um, uh, the tendency to fight and whatnot, and that kind of been bred bred out of them for the most part. We've had amazing success with this breed. We find that they're sweet. Um, they lay amazingly large brown eggs. They lay pretty good for us through the winter, even large eggs through the winter. They laid for a very long time. They were docile. They were really sweet birds. Uh, all the ones I mentioned before, even we've had before, uh, the, the Rhode Island Reds, the Bard Rocks, Silverlaced Wyandots, you know, we've had those. Those were sweet birds, too. Again, you're getting them when they're chicks. But uh, I tell folks now, just because of our awesome experience with the Isa Browns, with the continual laying, the large eggs, the, the laying through the winter, docile, um, uh, you know, if you're not into getting a, a sex, if you don't mind getting a sex link, not a heritage breed, we really like the Isa Browns, and I don't think you can go wrong with any of the others I mentioned. But uh, ask around. Don't just ask uh, us here on the show, but ask around. Go into the forums uh, on on our Facebook page. uh, Post that question, and you'll get 12 different answers from 12 different people. Um, And it's because it's it's pretty much like saying, hey, what truck should I get to pull my camper? Um, I like Ford. Someone else likes Dodge. Someone else likes Chevys. And uh, and you're going to get all that kind of different answers there. So um, that's kind of a, a loaded question there, uh, Angela. But I wanted to share those with you, especially our success with the uh, Isa Browns uh, that we've had. Any any one that just kind of sticks out in, in your head, Peter? Uh, I I think that um, the Isa Brown is a uh, um, you know a real good choice. Um, the 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 only part of it I guess that is the, the pet part of it you know um, right while they may be docile I'm not sure that they're going to be quite as uh, as friendly and and warm and fuzzy as a silky might be but uh, um, I I guess what I would probably do is try to stay away from if you're in the southeast where it's going to be hot I certainly stay away stay away from any of the real heavy breeds 
um, try to stick with something more long. You know, Rhode Island Red's not too bad, but I don't think they have the temperament. Um, a, a, yeah, a, a yeah. good bar Plymouth Rock does. I know that. If you get a good breed of them, one that hasn't been bred to, to uh, crazy, um, yeah. uh, they're generally, I, I know several people that, that keep them as pets. So uh, that would, that might be one of my choices as well. Um, the the Isa Brown, I know uh, yourself and other people that have had them too. Uh, they are gentle, good layers. Um, I think you have to look at both sides of the spectrum here. You know, uh, if um, you're, you're looking to get the... Uh, uh, the eggs from them. A lot of these other breeds are not going to be as prolific as that Isa Brown is going to be for you. So you know, it, it just depends. But um, I, I would certainly give a, a good, uh, well-bred uh, Bard Plymouth Rock from a good source. Um, I'd give that a shake for sure. Very nice birds. Good looking too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. All right, let's move on here. Um, there's a lot of information in this. It's like three paragraphs long, and it's it's all kind of clumped in, but I think we'll be able to pick out the the main issue here for uh, Suzanne and her Turkin. Um, I have a 10-year-old Turkin hen, 10 years old. So I think that number one will be key. Um, she started to stand very close to our rooster. She stands directly in front or behind him with her head and neck inside his feathers. He is very tolerant of this. We have increased the warmth in the indoor house for her and added a heat lamp that she can go under when cold. She also has food and water in the indoor house, um, so she does not need to go outside into the paddock except when she wants to. Is there anything else I can do to help keep her head or neck warm? Uh, Could she be getting dementia? Or could there be another reason to this head-pressing behavior, hiding her head and neck inside the feathers of the rooster? Her weight is a little lean this winter, but she seems to be eating well and seems otherwise normal. I don't know if it matters, but when she is hiding her head in the rooster's feathers, her head and neck and skin look very pale. So she's not, Peter, saying nice, vibrant red colors, which we're looking at good circulation and and a good, healthy bird, more more pale-colored. Um, skin, head, and neck. Um, when she has been inside the coop where there is supplemental heat, uh, the same. The skin still looks very pink or flush with color. Again, not that very vibrant and deep red. We want to see with good circulation and a good healthy bird. So a 10-year-old turkey hen seems to be wanting to hang close to the rooster, tuck its head and neck inside the rooster's feathers, a little bit on the uh, lean side, if you will, for this winter. Uh, and, and kind of pale-looking skin, that, but that's all we've got. Okay. Well, um, not a whole lot there to really point to any one direction. Right. I think I think mm-hmm. that um, the pale skin can be a number of things. Um, for instance, uh, uh, as a bird ages, it's very very possible, especially a ten-year-old bird. I mean, I've got some here, fourteen years old, and and um, you know they they could. You know, end up with circulatory problems. Um, it could be uh, the heart starting to fail. Uh, it could be uh, some problems with uh, the intestine itself, um, absorption of, of uh, nutrients through the intestinal wall. Um, could be uh, you know worms, coccidiosis. Uh, you know, we could be looking at uh, salpingitis. Uh, we could be looking at um, um, the, the possibility of this being. Um, um, ovarian cancer. That's a possibility. 
and um, you know they, they go along and they they eat well and everything else, and then they start doing things. Uh, it's very hard to put your finger on all of this stuff. I mean, uh, none of us you can just look at a bird and say, "Oh yeah, that's what it is." But um, uh, I think it's interesting that the warmth does not increase the circulation uh, from a standpoint of the skin is still pale. So I think that um, you know there's a, there's a there's a bit of a tip off there as to um, as to you know what may be may or may not be going on. Just, again, I can't put my finger on it, but I would start doing things one at a time. Uh, I would worm the bird, see if it made a difference. I treat it for coccidiosis, see if it made a difference. I would um, uh, increase her uh, vitamin intake through the water. Um, Either Vitapro B and or Vitapro B and the uh, Replimin liquid is a good combination to put in, in the drinking water, um, and see if any of those help you know perk her up and and make her head uh, and neck uh, color change from the pale color to a more reddish color. I mean, <clears throat> she did, I don't recall you saying that she was still laying any eggs at all. No. Um, but you know, generally when they do go into uh, the, the uh, cessation of laying eggs. They they, they do lose the the color of, of the the comb and and the wattles and and, and so on. So um, you know it may be just part of that. The as far as putting her head um, under the rooster's feathers, um, I can't say the rhyme and reason why. Uh, you know, if she's cold, maybe she's doing it. He's She's lucky he's allowing her to do that. Uh, some of them, some roosters are very tolerant, uh, but I, I would do those few things. I would start with you know I wouldn't do all at once because then you don't know what worked, if anything. Um, I, I would increase the the, the protein level uh, in her in her feed, and and see if that that makes a difference. I'd feed her maybe by herself, and maybe add um, a couple of tablespoons uh, per day for uh, a couple of weeks of um, uh, a fattier um, uh, hamburger meat, one of the ones that's less lean, and uh, cook it well, but still leave the fat content there for her so that she can get uh, that. And she'll gobble that up. Most of them do. I've not seen one yet that wouldn't eat it. And uh, about a couple of tablespoons a day, a couple of weeks, see if it makes any kind of improvement. Uh, but I would certainly do all of these things one at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't feel like it's a worm problem, at least take a look at the droppings. I don't think there was any mention as, as to what the droppings looked like. Um, Correct. And I also want to throw this out there because this means a lot. Um, when when the person is asked, because I ask people this almost every day, so it's something that sticks in my mind all the time. When I say to a person, is the bird eating, that I have to go back and qualify it, and I say, okay, what do you consider eating? Well, so I'm pecking the feed. That's not eating. Eating is, well, by my definition, is eating enough food at, at a uh, during the course of the day uh, to sustain life. Pecking mm-hmm. at the food, walking away, getting a drink, and going sitting down in the corner is not eating. So those kind of things have to be qua- uh, qualified uh, and evaluated, uh, you know, to see uh, to what they're doing. But I would certainly go about it in a methodical way, one thing at a time and see what works and see if it can remedy the situation. I'd also, uh, there was no mention as to whether or not uh, the belly was tight, whether she was walking more upright, uh, or, or any of those things. So uh, but that's the direction I'd go in. 
Okay, great. Lots of suggestions there for um, Suzanne and her uh, 10-year-old turkey and hen. Hopefully uh, those will work out for her. Okay, let's scroll down here. Here's a uh, another one that's pretty interesting. Uh, Jackie says that uh, she lost a black Australort hen a couple of weeks before Christmas. She was fine. Then all of a sudden she had diarrhea for a couple of days. And she was just sitting in the chicken yard, doing nothing, just sitting there. I took her home to, uh, um, apparently took her home. They have a, uh, says our farm is a county uh, away. So maybe they, she was at the farm, brought her home to the quote-unquote rehab facility to take care of her. She got progressively worse, and it was like she was paralyzed. She quit eating, she quit drinking, and then passed two days later. Could it have been Merrick's? I was very concerned about some sort of contagious disease in regard to the rest of my flock, but so far they seem fine. So this was two weeks before Christmas. Right now we're coming up on the 1st of February. Um, Seems like right now an isolated incident, diarrhea for a couple of days, and then uh, paralyzed, and then death. Um, Do you recommend vaccinating against Merrick's in small backyard flocks? Um, I'm kind of uh, leery of that. Thanks for your help. Okay. All right, let's start at the beginning of this thing um, with the diarrhea. Um, Many times with Merrick's, we will see diarrhea. Um, She mentioned uh, no, um, or at least I didn't catch it, um, didn't seem to be any uh, paralysis early on. Um, Was there a mention of paralysis at all? Um, it said, yeah, it was. Uh, she seemed paralyzed, and then, uh, and then actually died. So I'll scroll up here and give her wording. Okay. Um, diarrhea for a couple of days, and then um, got worse. It acted like she was paralyzed. Uh, quit eating, quit drinking, and then died two days later. Okay. Um, it, it it could have been Merrick's, but I. I I, I would need a little bit more information, but we'll throw a couple of things around here that, that uh, you know, quickly come to mind. Uh, certain bacterial infections, birds that have uh, free range or um, have access to, to, to different things, uh, some people uh, allow them to run around in the compost pile and, and here, there, and yonder, uh, which, you know, on average is not a big deal, but sometimes they'll pick up a bacterial infection. Um, and it becomes a, a, a problem for them. They start with, with diarrhea. Uh, the diarrhea becomes profuse, watery, um, gets worse. Um, and once that diarrhea turns into um, this green, fluorescent green uh, situation, it's extremely hard to reverse it. Um, she didn't say the bird had that, but in effect the bird did die. Um, hard to say whether the paralysis and the not eating uh, comes uh, directly from Merrick's or not um, without you know having a necropsy done uh, can't really say yay or nay on, on that aspect of it but um, this diarrhea situation coming on suddenly um, and progressing um, it may have been the paralysis may just have come from the fact that the bird uh, had no nutrients left, and there's not enough gas in the tank to make everything work, so she becomes paralyzed. So I don't think 
I don't think I would jump off the boat here and run and get Merrick's vaccine and, and vaccinate. Um, while I am a proponent of vaccination in general, I am also a proponent of vaccination and need only. Uh, if you don't need it, there's no point in doing it. Um, if you have an, uh, a, a bona fide uh, problem ongoing, uh, then you have to take a look at it uh, as far as uh, whether or not you want to do it, the cost of doing it. There really isn't any downside to doing it. Um, there's a whole lot of misnomers uh, run around daily on the Internet, uh, Facebook, and every other place you can think of uh, concerning Merrick's disease. Um, the vaccine is not capable of giving the bird the disease. So if you were to give the vaccine to your bird uh, today, and two months later the bird shows up with some sort of symptoms that look like Merrick's. It didn't come from the vaccine, that I can assure you. And I've checked on that numerous times uh, with my friends at the uh, uh, Department of Agriculture Avian Oncology Laboratory, the experts in it, that the guys that are in the trenches doing this day in and day out. Um, and there's the other misnomer that runs around that the vaccinal strain is not an actual Merrick's virus. It is an actual Merrick's virus. It's just not oncogenic, meaning cancer-causing. Okay? So um, unless you really have a need to do it, I don't see the point. And I don't see that point here. You can't prove it either way. Nobody else seems to be affected. It was several months ago. No other bad actors. Um, I think that I would take this as a bacterial infection until proven otherwise. Um, if another bird comes down with it here in the short term, uh, I would certainly, uh, uh, you know, have my uh, eyebrows raised and look at it and um, maybe even euthanize that bird as a sac sacrificial lamb and uh, get it to a diagnostic laboratory and find out just exactly what caused it. Because <clears throat> Merrix can cause a bird to stop eating eventually. The... Um, as the virus progresses in the bird's system uh, and uh, attacks the vagus nerve, which runs from the brain basically down through, through the tail, uh, it goes uh, through a, a, what I call a junction box, so to speak. It's called the brachial plexus. It's uh, on the backbone of the bird in between the kidneys. And from there, the nerves go out to the legs, the wings, uh, the proventriculus, which is the true uh, stomach of the bird. And that is where... Uh, the problem of not eating starts if indeed it is Marix and, uh, and is uh, interacting with that proventriculus. So if you look at the bird, you've got the mouth, you've got the esophagus, you have the crop, then you have a small piece of intestine goes from the bottom of the crop over to the proventriculus, which is the true glandular stomach of the bird, only about as big as your pinky finger uh, uh, in length and uh, maybe a little bit bigger in diameter, okay? Maybe not even as big as your pinky finger. And... Um, Two things basically trigger that. The, when a bird is hungry, the brain sends a signal down through the vagus nerve to the proventriculus uh, and other parts of the bird's uh, body to, say, uh, go out and forage, go to the feeder, go wherever you get food, eat it, and uh, the bird starts to eat, goes through the crop, comes down, uh, and goes through the proventriculus. And it's open because the brain is telling it to stay open. The other way that the food gets in there uh, through that proventriculus is by touching it. So as the food is ingested, goes into the crop, comes down through the little piece of intestine and touches the opening to the, to the uh, uh, proventriculus, it opens and allows the food to come through. It's one of the reasons why uh, we see birds who have uh, Merrick's and are being tube-fed uh, by their, uh, their owners 
um, as the food comes down and is and touches the proventriculus, it it's going to open and uh, allow that food to come come through. Uh, eventually, um, nothing will come through, but we do see it where the food does come through, and then. Uh, when the bird uh, is either euthanized or the bird dies on its own and where necopsies have been performed, uh, it, it invariably comes back as, as Marix. So I don't think I would vaccinate here. I think it was a, a problem uh, with what we call the greens. Uh, that's at least a guess on my part because there was no uh, other uh, information about what the droppings looked like. And um, usually if you start to see the greens, the um, uh, the first thing you want to do is get tetracycline into them. doesn't matter whether straight-up tetracycline, doxycycline, or chlortetracycline, or oxytetracycline, any one of those um, that's available to you, uh, and get it into the bird as quick as you can. That usually will do the trick, and the bird will go back to eating, the diarrhea will go away, and all is well. So uh, I don't think I would vaccinate under these circumstances. Okay, good. I started yapping and I was uh, on mute, so you wouldn't uh, hear me sneeze. So, uh, yeah, very good information. Not not ruling out uh, anything really, but uh, just look for additional signs. And and uh, yeah, it's been a while since, uh, and it looked like the uh, onset was pretty pretty quick from diarrhea to death. So, um, yeah. great information there, uh, Peter. Um, here's one, and actually, it's uh, very timely because uh, your article coming up in the uh, spring edition of uh, spring issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine is talking about scissor beak and cross beak. And Ashley has a question here. I have a cross beak that routinely gets mites. Uh, she gets them bad because she can't groom herself well. Is there a regimen I can start using as far as medicating her to uh, help her out? Or will medicating her on a regular schedule make the medicine ineffective, uh, ivermectin in particular? So uh, that's her question. Well, uh, the bird doesn't have mites because she can't groom herself. I've never seen a bird groom themselves out of mites ever. Um, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, I don't. I, it's not going to happen. I mean, they can take care of some of them maybe in the beginning, but uh, they generally become overwhelming. Um, I have this little theory in my head, and, and I, I, it only comes from my experience over the last 55 years of doing this stuff um, and looking at, uh, you know, why things happen that, you wouldn't think would normally happen to a particular group of birds or a bird in, as an individual. And one of the things is I find that, uh, and we found the same thing in scaly leg mites, um, not that I found it, but it's consistent. Uh, older birds uh, that have that um, end up usually having uh, a compromised immune system somewhere. And because of the fact that um, uh, cross beak and or scissor beak, whichever, uh, in many cases is uh, genetic related, not all, but in most cases uh, genetic related. Uh, there may be some genetic uh, defect there that's allowing the mites to uh, pick on her especially. Um, so uh, I would rotate things in and out. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the poultry protector um, and for, for a number of reasons, not because the product is going to be used on the bird and immediately kill every mite in sight not going to happen. It's a natural product, much slower uh, kill rate, uh, but very effective when used properly. And what I like about it is you can take that poultry protector, mix it up at the strongest strength they have on the bottle, okay, and it's a natural product, so it's not going to have any detrimental effects to this bird whatsoever. And you can take it and mix it up 
and put it in a tote that uh, you can give that bird a nice bath in it, and you can let her sit in there for five, ten minutes if you like. And as that product works on those mites, she will be pretty much mite-free when you get done with her. And you can do that every day if you need to. You'll not do that with any other chemical insecticide and not have the margin of safety that you have here, which is 99.9% safe. Okay? So uh, that, to me, would be a great alternative uh, because you're talking about one bird versus doing 40 or 50. And uh, to be honest with you, if I had a mite problem, uh, I would uh, certainly be interested in uh, using the uh, uh, poultry protector in this particular fashion if I had 40 birds, 100 birds. Um, it, you've got to get rid of them. And you also have to do where the bird lives at the same time. So you're going to want to uh, spray that down, clean it up, take out shavings, bedding, whatever, uh, get her, her, her place where she sleeps all cleaned up and, and, uh, uh, and do her at the same time. But I think you'll find it very, very effective. I have uh, multiple people now uh, that are doing that. Uh, several of them have house chickens that have uh, acquired mites, uh, however, uh, and uh, they like it because they can give them a simple bath. Uh, they can get their hands in it. They don't have to take any special precautions. Um, it's just a wonderful product uh, from that standpoint. So um, as far as any of the others are concerned, um, she's right. Constantly using ivermectin, constantly using uh, the uh, Frontline, the uh, uh, Adams Flea Spray, which is a, a permethrin, uh, or a pyrethrin rather, versus a permethrin, which is a, nat, uh, a, a man-made product. Um, and all of them, is, they, they build resistance very very, very quickly, and you'll wear them out, and not only that, there's the hazard of constantly using uh, chemicals, not only for yourself, but for the bird. So I highly recommend the the, the poultry protector, because I know it works uh, when used in the fashion that I'm talking about. Um, and again, you could use it every day if you had to. You would maybe want to, but if you had to, you could. The others, you can't. Once you put them on, you you kind of have to wait it out until uh, it dissipates enough to come in with the next one. So that's that's what I would suggest there. Okay, very good. Awesome. Let's get to our next one here, and then uh, well, you know what? We'll go to commercial break here, and then we come back. We'll answer a uh, we'll answer a, a couple of more. So uh, we'll okay. do that. Let me get back over where we're at. I'll put you on hold there, and we'll go to commercial break, folks. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. He's answering all of your chicken health questions. Uh, on today's show, and we've got uh, a few more we're going to be answering. You know, when we return right after this short break. So stay with us. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then look no further than Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from appearance-grade western red cedar right here in the USA. Urban Coop Company coops are designed to be both beautiful and functional. I invite you to visit their website to learn about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit their website at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, 
non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting, and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Come back. Come back, back. Come back. Come back. Come back, back, back. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poetry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest, if you're just tuning in, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State VetSupply.com. If they don't have it, you don't need it. Let's get back over here to the uh, Facebook page really, really quick, and we'll do maybe a couple of more, and then we'll call it a day here. Um, let's see. Here's a quick one we can answer. I got a new heated waterer. I haven't seen any of my chickens drink from it yet, and it's been two days. Will they figure it out? It has the little nipples that they have to pet to get the water out. And and really, my question, which we don't have the answer to, because uh, she posted this on our Facebook page, uh, Wendy did, is does she have the other, and I'm ass- we, we will assume that she has the traditional one, two, three-gallon fonts that, that have been around forever. Um, do, does she still have those out in the run or in the coop? with an additional waterer that she wants to go to, like the nipple waterer. Um, and we've heard many a times that happens, and they probably won't start using the new one while they still have the good old-fashioned reliable that they've always known out. 
you may have to remove every waterer that's available except for, bam, that waterer now with the nipples. And they do catch on very quickly. We've heard this time and time again over the years going over to the nipple drinkers, um, even from baby chicks. If all you if you just introduce them initially, that's the only water they know, uh, right out of hatch uh, in the uh, brooder, they're they're gonna it's, it's amazing how quick that they uh learn where their water is and uh, you, you can assist with that if you choose to. But uh my guess here, Wendy, is if you have the other waters out there in addition to this new one with the the nipples on it, that may be causing the delay versus having just this one new waterer out there for them to, to get used to and to uh, to try. What say you, Peter? That's my take on it. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Not only that, um, you know, it, it would make sense to uh, uh, grab a couple of birds and bring them right over to it and show them where the water is. Mm-hmm. You know, once he removes everything else, wherever this nipple drinker is, uh, you know, once you bring a couple of birds over there, show them how to, where to drink, and they go right to it. Um, you know, the, one will teach the other. And uh, I, um, I fully agree. If they got, you know, it's going to take the path of least resistance, and you put something in that they're not used to. So I don't know if she's removed everything else. Uh, but if she has, and they're still not going to the nipple drinker, uh, then I would take a couple of birds, bring them over there, uh, put their beak up there, let them let them get the water, and and uh, monkey see, monkey do, and uh, mm-hmm. it won't take won't take very long. Yeah, it won't take very long. They'll go over there and 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 uh, and trigger those things. Mm-hmm. I right, actually we, uh, have a device that I had made. Um, for, uh, there's a guy here in town that's uh, they're actually made on a um, um, on a 3D printer. Uh, and uh, they're little plastic devices, and there's two different sizes they fit uh, on the metal part of the, of the nipple drinker, and the design of it is they uh, are designed to make it easier for the bird to see it and to uh, uh, to trigger the nipple drinker. And uh, they're, they're red in color, and it's, there's two different sizes of the stems of the, um, uh, of the nipple drinkers, um, and uh, these just push on. And um, when they've all got the hang of it, you take them off. It's pretty neat. That is very cool. On a 3D printer. <laughs> Imagine yep. that. Okay, yep. I'm going to go through the list here and uh, get the most pertinent ones. Uh, some of them have already been answered in our other questions, like is it necessary to give vaccinations? Um, we've got um, what are the best treats for chickens? Boy, that's a loaded None. question for you, Peter. None. <laughs> None, yeah. Zero. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um, let's see. Um, that could one we can answer off air. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up with this one up here. Um Okay, we our, our our chickens seem to be losing a lot of feathers. We try catching the pecker, but we never find her. So in that issue, if she, Angie thinks that the other chickens are picking and pecking on her other chickens as a group, and you've got some pickers and peckers there in the group that are picking the feathers, <laughs> how about that? Um, yeah. Pinless peepers, my friend. Pinless peepers, you can get them over at firststatevetsupply.com. Peter's got a boatload of them. And uh, totally uh, non-invasive. They they clip on and and it just they they work fabulous. And it's you know, I don't even know what they are. What fifty cents a piece, Peter? And then you know it's so it's, it's, it's a fifty great, cents a piece. Great. And the 
the plier is not on on the site, but if they have a a snap ring plier, they don't need it. But if they need it, all they got to do is uh, in the comments section just say they need it sixteen ninety five, and it uh, you know I'll throw it in the box with it. So the the, the snap ring pliers to help kind of spread those apart. Yeah, it makes it a lot easier hospital. to put them on. We give you directions yeah. on how to do it, how it's supposed to look when it's on, and so on. It's it's not rocket science. None of us. You can put one on a bird every ten to fifteen seconds. So yep, it, uh, and uh, that's probably the first step in, in trying to eliminate that. You can put them on all your birds if you want, or if, if you don't know which ones are doing it, that's perfectly fine. Uh, they can still look for predators, still look to eat, still look around, still yep. function, uh, but it's a kind of a low-cost, uh, effective way to try to nip that in the bud. That's probably our first step we always recommend. Uh, we just covered this with Merrick's, Melissa, and, and I know you know the article that she's talking about. We've already covered it. I'm just going to read the question she has. Uh, I heard that bringing chickens in that have been vaccinated for Merrick's, they will spread the disease 10,000 times more of the virus. Um, there's an article. Out. Remember that article that came out? We, we've yeah, about the leaky vaccines. Yeah, I think that yeah, you know yeah. it's almost leading to 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 people who who don't understand. Um, uh, the birds may shed the virus more if uh, if they've been vaccinated. So what? Uh, it won't infect the birds that uh, are non-vaccinated. Um, there there may be a uh, an issue that if the birds who are vaccinated uh, are then exposed to some other strain, they could shed both of them. Uh, and that would be the only issue. But as far as the vaccine is concerned, uh, it's a non-issue. Um, and I, when I talked to my friends at the Avian Oncology Laboratory, um, if the people uh, really read that article and read it all the way down to, to the bottom, they are talking more about uh, the issues with the commercial poultry industry where they use uh, trivalent vaccines, which means three different types of, of, uh, of Merix uh, uh, vaccines mixed together. Um, so they're talking about a different thing. But in the end, in the end of that article, um, it said, you know, uh, so the real bottom line is uh, it's better to be vaccinated. So if you're vaccinated, for the most part, you don't have a worry if you're not vaccinated uh, and your bird comes into contact. It's all about, like I said before, exposure. If you have no exposure, why would you want to vaccinate? If you never left your home, why would you want to ever get a flu shot or, if, or, or any other shot for that matter? Um, you know, if, if you're, you know, but if you're out and about and you're hustling around, you might want to consider some of those things, you know. Um, I, I leave it up to people. I don't like to argue the point uh, of, uh, a vaccination, not vaccination. Uh, I'm very uh, astute and aware as to what the vaccinations, both human and otherwise, do. Uh, there are the naysayers and the non-believers on both sides of the issue. I don't care to debate it. I, don't, I look at history, and uh, you know, each to their own from that standpoint. It's uh, not up to me to convince you uh, to do anything, and uh, so I don't argue those points. Uh, I, I make valid scientific points based on uh, good, solid science. Uh, by people who do it day in and day out. Um, and uh, so, you know, if you believe in vaccination and you have a need to vaccinate, then vaccinate. If you have no need, don't vaccinate. I'll, I'll say this to you. Um, recently, um, there was an issue came uh, to my attention. Uh, a person had intended a show 
I won't even name the show because I'm, I'm not interested in, in that aspect of it. Um, had some very valuable birds, both at the show uh, and, and at their uh, premise on their small farm, um, and um, had not vaccinated uh, for a particular disease that's quite common in the, uh, in the show circuit, and picked it up at the show, uh, went home, and spread like wildfire. And um, I helped these folks, you know, fix it. And uh, but in the interim, uh, between vaccination costs and overnight shipping and uh, the mortality uh, in the flock, uh, the losses were in the thousands for a simple um, twenty-five dollar bottle of vaccine. And um, not only that, I don't think they were aware of the fact that that's something that they should have been looking at. So um, there's somebody that had the need, didn't know it, and got stung by it. Um, so you need to look at what your situation is uh, before you jump off the bridge. Um, you know, if you think it's safe to jump off the bridge and you're not going to die, jump off the bridge. You know, if you think you're going to jump off the bridge and it's going to be your last jump, you might not want to do that. And that's the same way I look at that vaccine. I will go back and I will tell you my flock here at this point in time is non-vaccinated for anything. Nothing. Anything they were vaccinated for, okay, was 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say to me all the time, oh, you must do, I don't do squat for them unless it's absolutely necessary. I will tell you what they have is plenty of room, plenty of food, plenty of water that's clean and fresh food and and. Outside every day, their choice. We've got a, a, a great, uh, and I'll tell you this another thing. Uh, this is a, a plug from, from my buddy Frank from the Chicken Fountain. That pop hole door that he makes, that one that looks like the <laughs> yeah. ones that are in the freezers, we put yeah. that on two years ago, and I will tell you, the best thing since sliced bread. It's easy on. Even the, even the duck we've got who's scared of his own shadow, he's scared of the chickens. <laughs> okay. I swear, I swear not. He, he is he, he's a, a, a nice duck. He's a khaki Campbell, so you know the size of him. And all these others are bantams. And uh, they, they push him away from the feed and the water and everything else. We, we give him his own stuff on the other side. But uh, he, he won't go out until they're out. And uh, he's finally using that door here uh, uh, as well. But, you know, it's just, it's just funny. But it keeps, it keeps uh, a lot of the cold air out because when it hangs down, it's heavy enough to, to not be easily moved by, by wind, uh, rain. Um, it keeps out any free-flying birds because they can't really get in. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really nice setup for 30 bucks. Trust me. Really, really nice. Yeah. Very impressed with it. Have been now for two years. Uh, but it's those kind of things that, that you do. Protect yourself. We talked about it earlier on in the show about the, uh, uh, you know, the yep. avian influenza thing. Protect yourself. Do all you can. Do all you can. And when you think you've done all you can, go back and look at it again because you've got to keep doing things. You've got to keep on top of it. But I don't do anything for them. Feed and water. They want to go out. We had some snow here uh, uh, about a week ago, whatever it was. You know, they want to go out, they go out. And they decided they didn't want to go out in the snow. That's fine. But, um, again, vaccination is, is something that you're going to do on your own. Uh, uh I don't think anybody can really tell you. Uh, if you have a, a, an outbreak, if you have an outbreak of Merrick's, the best thing you can do then is vaccinate everybody, every bird on the mm-hmm. place, young, old. There is no age restriction whatsoever. 
Uh, people think that they can only do it at one day of age. Yeah, sure, to be most effective and ward off the disease, is it better to do it one day of age? You betcha. But when you're looking at, a, at an outbreak and you're trying to save everything you have that doesn't have it, you're much better off to go and vaccinate. There's no question about it. And proof of that is that in certain countries where, where Merrick's is really a, a, a terrible problem, it's a problem here in the U.S., but, I mean, in other places it's really bad, they vaccinate twice. So if it were limited to day of age, why would people do it uh, twice? Because it's effective. Mm-hmm. That's why. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, knowledge-based and need-based. And um, so I understand where she's coming from with the, you know, the, the shedding of the thing. Uh, but if she aren't fully understood it, it's really a, it's a it's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. It's a no-brainer. Cool. All right, that's going to wrap it up, my friend. Uh, that's awesome okay. that you were on. We look forward to to having you on next month. There may be a a date change. It looks like uh, uh I don't know. Something's going to be happening. I'm going to be on tour. I've got an event or something on that that Thursday, last Thursday. But we'll move it to Wednesday or Friday or something like that. But I'll get back in touch with you regarding that. But yep. great show. It's always nice to have you on, Peter. Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, uh, yep. founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. Go check it out. All the stuff we talk about. And uh, if they don't have it, you don't need it. Oxine, man, get you down on that stuff. It's awesome. And we still, we still have that. that going around. We still have that Genesis for one nineteen ninety five. Can't buy it nowhere for that. Uh uh-uh. uh, and that's I've got two of those, and they're they're fabulous. We've used them in a lot of classrooms uh, when yep. Jen was a teacher. Yep, that 50, model fifteen eighty eight Genesis is a, it's yep. a humdinger. I tell you what, so one nineteen fabulous price. And um, yep. thanks, FirstStateVetSupply dot com. Thanks, Peter. We'll see you next month. Okay, Andy. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Huge fan base, so we love him, have him here. Uh, Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor, very knowledgeable, 50 years experience, uh, just just fabulous, well respected in in the show uh, and fancier uh, arena, and uh, we love having him on. We'll be bring him on. He's normally now on the last Thursday or the fourth Thursday, I should say, the fourth Thursday of every single month, and uh, great show. So uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on uh, Facebook. Become a fan over on Twitter. And uh, Facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer. Twitter is at Backyard Poultry. Website's ChickenWhisperer.com. Magazine ChickenWhisperMagazine.com. You can subscribe to the free digital edition. Guess what? For free. That's why we call it the free digital edition. (laughs) We want you to make sure that you get the right information from true experts. Not a blogger that's kept chickens for a couple years. Okay, no matter. uh, It doesn't matter. We want you to get right fact-based, science-based, study-based information is what it's all about. That's what we strive to do right here, Chicken Whisperer Radio. Hey, appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we'll be back next Tuesday. And uh, I'm going to call that, that, that 11-year-old, 11, 12-year-old boy, fifth grader that's doing the uh, chicken sitter service. We're going to ask about what biosecurity he implements, and uh, if he, he, he may do fabulous biosecurity. But we're going to we're going to find out. Maybe he can come on next Tuesday. But uh, I'll let you know over on our Facebook page. Don't forget, sign up, uh, enter those two chicken coop contests, and uh, maybe you'll win one of those two awesome chicken coops from our sponsors. Have a great day, everybody. God bless. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha